So we have to kind of, you know, agitate, organize around it and say, this is what we believe and that's what the company believes. And we're all Teamsters and we're going to fight like hell for what we what we deserve and what those part-timers deserve. And we're winning too. Welcome to Fight Back Radio, production of fightbacknews.org, taking you to the heart of the people's struggle. I'm your host, Richard Berg, and we are today uh, gearing up for the, the beginning of a battle between the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the 340,000 UPS workers who are uh, threatening to strike on August 1st um, against uh, United Parcel Service. This will be the largest uh, st- private sector strike in U.S. history. Um, and it's this is a uh, big news uh, for those of you who are followers of Fight Back Radio. You know our last episode uh, featured uh, Tanner Fisher, who's the president of Teamsters Local 90 in Des Moines, Iowa, and he broke down a lot of uh, what uh, this fight is actually about, what it's like to be a worker at UPS, and why this is important. And uh, today's uh, uh, episode takes us a step further. Um, we're going to uh, talk. We're going to actually do a, a forum. That was I hosted. Uh, that was sponsored by the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, uh, which is a UPS Teamsters at the front lines. And at this forum, uh, rank and file uh, Teamsters, three rank and file Teamsters, basically broke it down and laid it out. But they talked not just about the uh, battle at UPS, and they did talk about that in depth, um, but also how this has broader implications for the political economy in the United States, um, and uh, brilliantly, I, I would say so as well. Um, also, uh, as, as the host of the thing, I was asked to talk a little bit about my life in the Teamsters and with Freedom Road, and I did that, so you'll probably hear a little bit more about me than you have in the past uh, as well. So, um, But anyways, uh, I think we have a this, – this is a good show. This is a good follow-up to the Tanner uh, um, episode, and we're going to continue to cover uh, the news of uh, uh, what's going on at UPS. Uh, also, for uh, day-to-day – um, updates on UPS and what's going on there and, and reports from the front lines of the struggle. I want to encourage people here to go to uh, Fightback News, fightbacknews.org. So some of what you hear uh, in this episode is not just uh, 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 what it's like to be a worker at UPS, but bigger thinking from people who are um, related to the Freedom Road Socialist Organization and why those uh, connections uh, are, are important to think beyond just a uh, bread and butter trade unionism. But also, uh, you know, just to say before we get into it, we need to support our sisters and brothers in the Teamsters. And uh, anything you can do, whoever you are, uh, as a listener, um, as we ramp up to the to the, the fight, uh, there's been uh, practice picketing uh, the last week or so, uh, and there may be more things going on. I saw, uh, um, you know, Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters, told uh Joe Biden to keep out of it, you know, that this is a fight between UPS and the Teamsters. Uh, I think that tells us uh, his concerns about what side our government might walk in on. Um, And we saw this with uh, the rail workers. And so we want to keep the government out. We want the fight to be between the Teamsters, uh, the public, and all the working class and UPS. And we want to win it. And uh, this will have implications uh, going forward. So anyways, uh, uh, rather than uh, listening to me, Babylon, I want to have a, a... Start the, the forum. So uh, here's uh, uh, Freedom Road's uh, um, forum on uh, UPS uh, from the front lines. Thank you all for being here. Uh, this is uh, um, 
UPS Teamsters on the front lines. Uh, it's presented by uh, the Freedom Road uh, Socialist Organization. And uh, my name is Richard Berg. Um, so I'll be the host of this tonight. We have a, a great panel uh, of guests here tonight. For But just uh, I want to start out by saying a little bit about Freedom Road and about uh, um, about who I am, I guess. Uh, um, as I said, I'm a member of the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. Um, I'm a member of the Labor Commission, and um, involved in it was have been involved in the labor movement for a long time. Uh, Freedom Road uh, has been uh, involved in the Teamsters in many unions uh, across the country uh, for for many years, for decades. In fact, uh, I was uh, a member of the Teamsters. I joined the Teamsters. Uh, in 1988, uh, just to give a little background, and um, I was a member of Teamsters Local 743. I, I did not work at UPS. I was at the University of Chicago Hospitals, and this was uh, in our earlier days when we were uh, experimenting with different uh, ways of doing things. But uh, uh, through the years of uh, cycles of uh, theory and practice, we've developed, uh, I think, what is a high level of uh, of work in the in the trade union movement. Um, you know, we chose uh, uh, to be involved at, at the university and in the Teamsters because, uh, you know, its relationship in the uh, private sector, its relationship to capital. Um, but we developed uh, uh, th uh, uh, theories, as I mentioned. Uh, there's a pamphlet we put out I want to point people to. It's called A Class Struggle on the Shop Floor, A Strategy for a New Generation of Socialists in the United States. And it talks about how we look at the trade union movement. Um, you know, the uh, for, for me, you know, in 1988, we joined uh, the main reform caucus, which is called Teamsters for Democratic Union. You'll be hearing about that a little bit from our guests today as well. But uh, we went through a, a process of, uh, uh, you know, fighting a very corrupt leadership in Local 743. Back in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, the, the local unions and the Teamsters, many of them, uh, especially here in Chicago, where I'm coming to you from, uh, you know, were corrupt. There was organized crime influences, and um, it was it was a difficult time for us. But we were ultimately successful. We took over uh, that union. I became the principal officer of Teamster 743. It's a 14,000 member union. And um, but at that time, uh, um, or shortly after that time, um, you know, Jimmy Hoffa became the the international president and did not want to tolerate the kind of uh, things uh, we were doing. And I think many of you are going to hear today from our panelists and we'll give time for questions and answers at the end as well. But uh, that uh, the Teamsters, uh, um, it's a breath of fresh air uh, right now. Uh, at least it looks that way to us. Um, and, you know, Sean O'Brien and uh, uh, the Oz slate uh, uh, has made a difference. You know, the fact that, you know, uh, even if, uh, just uh, standing up and saying they're going to do the right thing. So, you know, the 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 you know whatever the the pavement uh, the the tires hitting the pavement or however they say it right now is about to happen. And so, uh, the Teamsters are being tested and UPS is being tested. But there's there's a fight coming on, and um, and we're up for it. You know, we've been preparing for this in Freedom Road for some time, calling for it. Uh, these uh, sellout contracts that we've had uh, uh, through several cycles. It's time. You know, for us to, to fight back. Um, but I wanted to say also that, uh, you know, in Freedom Road, we have a vision of, uh, you know, we need to have uh, class struggle unions and we need to put unions on a basis of class struggle. It's not like, let's make a deal and what will get the best thing with uh, with the employer. 
it's not a, uh, it's, uh, you know, our interests are different than theirs. I mean, the old uh, uh, industrial workers of the world that the, you know, when the 20th century is coming in, when they were fighting for industrial unions, used to say that the, the, the working class and the capitalist class have nothing in common. And uh, that's our view. You know, it's like, uh, um, you know, whatever money uh, they don't give to the part-timers at UPS, that guess what? They put it in their own pockets. This isn't for the general good of society. And so we need to fight for everything we can get. Um, during the same time period, the, the, the famous abolitionist Fred, Frederick Douglass said, uh, you know, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. And I think that has to be how we look at things. And, and, and it is how we look at things. So uh, in Freedom Road, you know, we've been in, uh, and you'll hear from people that have been in uh, working at UPS for some time. We've been there. We've we've worked with uh, uh, militants to try to create a, a class struggling to try to transform the unions. And we've had some success uh, at the international level and the local level. We worked with uh, Teamsters for the Democratic Union and other forces to try to uh, create this class struggle unionism. Um, also, I want to say we have a vision of a, uh, um, that, uh, you know, for, to get rid, you know, capitalism is going to keep us down and that we need to have, uh, workers really run society to have socialism. And for that to happen, um, we need to, uh, have a, a strategic alliance of the working people and oppressed nationalities. And we fight for working class leadership, um, of the oppressed nationality movements. And we, and we fight for a diverse, uh, a multinational black, brown, uh, uh, everybody, uh, leadership of the trade union movement. And uh, that's important. It's not like just another thing you throw out there. It's like that has to be central to uh, what you're doing and how you're looking at uh, trying to make things better within organized labor. Um, so, you know, we see this fight at UPS uh, as, a, as setting a tone for the entire country. And we're not alone. The bosses see this. Uh, many other organizations have said that too. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're glad that we're strategically placed. We're glad that we're in the front lines of uh, where there's going to be a fight. We, we, we look forward to um, winning uh, livable wages for all UPS workers. Uh, we look forward to the fight to uh, stop some of the harassment. And we're happy about some of the gains that have uh, been won already. Um, so, uh, you know, we look to, uh, you know, have a uh, you know, a militant, uh, you know, work with the militants. And, uh, you know, we're looking, you know, we're looking forward to uh, to this battle. Um, so let me, uh, let me introduce our panelists now. Because um, uh, uh, I've been going on a little bit. And uh, you want to hear from the, the, the Teamsters uh, from the front lines at UPS. And so uh, um, our, our panelists, uh, we have uh, three really excellent panelists. Um, Jared Hamill, is a package car driver and elected Teamster shop steward in Los Angeles, California. Um, he's worked at UPS for more than 11 years. He is also a member of the Freedom Road Socialist Organization and serves as a member of the Labor Commission. When he's not organizing, he spends most of his time with his wife and daughter enjoying hiking and the outdoors. Um, so that's uh, Jared. Also from uh, Local 396, we have a uh, Jenny uh, Beckenstein, who is a two-year Teamster uh, in, uh, for 396s in Los Angeles. Uh, she's a UPS part-timer and a shop steward on the preload. Um, she's a proud member of the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. And she brings another twist to this too. Uh, 
Um, before working at UPS, she worked at the Amazon warehouse, and she'll talk a little bit about that, and uh, has been uh, helping to fight uh, to organize at Amazon. And, uh, you know, the, uh, we see, you know, Sean O'Brien's talked about it, and we see this too, that we think this battle at UPS will be, uh, has implications for our ability uh, as Teamsters to organize at Amazon, but also uh, um, uh, to, uh, you know, within the auto industry and other places that are going to come after us. Our last speaker will be uh, Nico Hernandez, uh, who is a part-time uh, um, uh, uh was a you know, part-time worker and a package cover driver in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, he has worked at UPS for three years, has been involved in Teamsters for Democratic Union and his local union since day one. He is the youngest elected member of the TDU Steering Committee and the only part-timer on the committee. He campaigned extensively for the local 512 Teamster United Slate in Jacksonville uh, to reform uh, his local union and later for the Oz Slate to bring back uh, militant unionism in the international union. Um, working on vacation and, and uh, sleeping in his car to campaign all over Illinois, in addition to Jacksonville, is a true fighter who believes in rank and file power and the need to build a militant labor movement. Um, before I introduce our first panelist, uh, also I just wanted to say, uh, um, uh, I'm all, besides being uh, uh, your host tonight, I'm the host of uh, Fight Back Radio. Um, which is going to um, rebroadcast this forum, so you can tell uh, the people who missed it or, or um, that they can catch it a, a week from today. It will be on Fight Back Radio, which is a, a podcast that you can find on uh, any of the platforms. Also, I want to encourage uh, um, everybody here to, uh, uh, to to check out Fight Back News, fightbacknews.org. It's covering, uh, it covered the practice pickets that were out there. It's covering uh, all the different, you know, day-to-day -day things that are happening at UPS. This is a place to get news and analysis of uh, what's actually happening in this uh, very important uh, contract campaign. So uh, um, I'm gonna turn it over to uh, Jared Hamill uh, from Local 396. As, as I said, he's a Freedom Road member and uh, um, a member of our, our labor commission and uh, a full-time uh, package car driver. So take it away, Jared. Thank you, Richard. Um, like I said, uh, or like Richard said, I was, uh, I'm was i a package car driver in Los Angeles, um, and I've worked at UPS for over 11 years. Before that, um, I was a tractor trailer truck driver. I did that for some time. And even before that, uh, I was a salt for Unite here uh, in an attempt to organize uh, food service workers on a university campus many, many years ago. So uh, let's get into it. I mean, as most of y'all know, 340,000 workers are about 15 days away from a potential strike, which is going to be, you know, if we go on strike, it's going to be the largest in over half a century. Um, I think since 1959, if I remember correctly, there's a lot of issues on the table, um, part-time pay being uh, the biggest, uh, forced overtime. Um, driver classification and, you know, the issue of a second tier of driver um, called the 22-4. Um, but basically, UPS, who made almost $14 billion in profit last year, who also benefited and padded their pockets during the pandemic, 
said they have no more to give. Um, currently, negotiations are at a standstill, and UPS has walked away from the table. And uh, negotiators aren't going to be back at the table uh, this week. Um, so it's looking like we'll have one week of maybe them negotiating something, maybe not, uh, before the expiration of our contract. Meanwhile, across the country, Teamsters have been picketing at their buildings and are getting ready, getting geared up. They're agitated, they're angry, getting ready for the strike. So the question is, how did we get here? Why are over a third of a million workers ready to strike? I mean, that's a big deal, you know? And it's not something that happened overnight, but it's the result of 20 years of struggle. Struggle against concessions in our contracts, against sellout collaborating bosses and leadership in the union. Um, it's about the struggle of winning new leadership in the union and fighting on the shop floor. And then for those of us that are in Freedom Road, we've been in these fights. We've been in these fights shoulder to shoulder. We've been on the shop floor for over a decade. Um, in 2013, we organized a vote no against concessions in that contract, and that was centered around health care issues and cuts to our health care. 2018, we voted no again um, against the second tier of driver, the 22-4, where those drivers get less pay, less rights. And then in 2021, Freedom Road members were at the gates uh, campaigning for new militant leadership. And uh, we were a part of helping get uh, O'Brien and Zuckerman elected into the uh, international leadership body of the Teamsters. And today, we're still there. We're organizing, leading practice pickets, fighting the boss, filing grievances, and fighting for a strong contract and gearing up for that strike that's, uh, that's going to happen in about 15, 14, 15 days. And we stand to win a lot. If we take up the fight now, and we, if we, we stand up, you know, we could win everything. Um, so let's talk about the issues. Um, obviously, part-time pay is the, uh, the biggest issue where part-timers make, you know, minimum wage. Um, and you're going to hear more about part-time issues later. But for us as drivers, a lot of us, the only way out of that part-time poverty is to get into driving. That's the only way. Or to have two or three other jobs. So for us, it's we see it's it's really hard for a lot of people to get into driving, especially women with kids and, and things like that. It's it's hard because the driving job is so demanding. And as a driver, it's not about the pay that we're really fighting for. It's about the conditions. Um, so I'll say this, you know, uh, the big issue I talked about was 22 fours. Um, the second class of drivers that we we're trying to get rid of. Uh, those drivers get less pay. They make less than $10 an hour, less than I do, and they do the same job. They don't get protections and rights to bid on routes. They don't get uh, reduced overtime like I do. They're more exploited than I am, um, and the company's taken full advantage of that. Another issue for drivers is uh, 
forced overtime. We don't have like a nine to five day. Um, we don't have an eight hour day. Uh, we work anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day. That's the standard. We do have uh, language in our contract that protects us from uh, excessive overtime, but because UPS has so much money, they just constantly violate it and they'll pay out some penalties, which is nothing for them. But meanwhile, you know, we're out there till nine o'clock. Um, I'm, you know, talking with drivers all the time. You know, they're out there till 10, maybe 11 o'clock at night delivering packages. Um, so another big issue, too, is the forced six day, as we call it. Um, during the pandemic, and it still exists now, it's in our contract, that the company in times of need um, will force us in six days a week. So we're working not only those excessive 10 to 14 hour days, but we're doing it six days a week. And, uh, you know, the company says in times of need, well, for them, there's always going to be a time of need when you're making so much profit off of us. So um, that's a big issue in our contract. And it's looking as though we're going to uh, get rid of that language of being forced in six days a week. And then another thing, too, for us as drivers is uh, the issue of air conditioning in the trucks. There is no air condition in a UPS package car. Um, you always see us driving down the road with uh, the doors wide open. There's a reason because it's really hot in those trucks. Uh, there's no AC. Um, in the back, it's even worse. And I've clocked the back of my truck at 130 degrees or more. And, you know, right now we're going through a little heat wave. So it's been pretty nasty recently, um, but other places around the country, it's worse than Los Angeles, um, you know, especially in the Southwest. I've, I've heard, you know, in Florida, it can be pretty bad. Um, but yeah, so heat illness is no stranger to a, a UPS driver. And, um, you know, even I think it was two years ago, there was a driver in our local, he was driving out of, in Los Angeles, but technically Pasadena, California. His name was Esteban Chavez, and he died in his truck um, during a heat wave, died of a heat-related illness, um, died while delivering packages. So needless to say, it, you know, people, drivers are, are out there. We're working these crazy hours, six days a week, and some of us are losing our lives for these packages, for these, you know, for this company making this crazy amount of profit. And so we like to say, you know, for us as Teamsters is there's a big demand for us is that we, you know, work to live, not live to work. So what are we doing on the on the shop floor? You know, it's not just, OK, you know, pobrecitos, you know, we uh, we're doing bad. You know, it's we've got to fight and we've been gearing up for this uh, contract for more than a year. So what we do on the shop floor, and this is what I'm personally doing, is, you know, agitating, you know, my coworkers, getting them to, you know, uh, file those grievances, enforce your contract. Um, what we do in our in our building, it's something that kind of originated out of uh, our local. It's something called Teamster Thursday. We have a union huddle every Thursday. And basically we talk 
shop floor stuff, um, huddle around in our center and, uh, you know, talk about the contract, talk about what, what our rights are. Recently, you know, we've been talking a lot about contract negotiations and the fight for that. And we do a little bit of chanting and cussing at the same time. So uh, we do that. Two weeks ago, we had a practice picket where we had a couple hundred workers uh, march around the building and go to like the other side of the building. We were chanting, being loud. We got a lot of support from, uh, you know, cars driving by. Um, we turned a lot of management's heads. Um, we made a lot of noise and it was a very militant picket. And, uh, you know, we did such a good job that we're going to do it again. Uh, not a practice picket, but a full on rally next, um, next Wednesday. Um, we're going to be out there again in front of the building. And this time Sean O'Brien's going to join us too. Um, and we're going to be out there demanding a strong contract and demanding uh, better rights for drivers and especially better, better pay for our, our part-time brothers and sisters. But like I said before, we stand to win a lot. And it took um, years of action, years of struggle and organizing from the rank and file to get us here. Um, years of organizing for stronger contracts trying to, um, you know, vote down concessions, even when the previous administration under Hoffa Jr. rammed those contracts through, um, the fighting against sellout leadership. But bottom line is the working class is tired of givebacks. We're tired of sellouts in our unions and we're gonna take back what's ours. So obviously strikes are on the rise and we're not going backwards. So with that, um, to just thank you very much and that's all i got for right now so thank you jared um so uh, uh we are going to have a, a question and answer period uh, at the end of this so if uh, people have questions for jared or any of our other panelists uh, i encourage them encourage you uh to write them in the chat uh and we're gonna you know we're taking a, a list of those and we'll get to as many of them as we can um, but uh, yeah, thank you, Jared. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, so our next uh, speaker, our next panelist is uh, um, Jenny Beckenstein from uh, Local 396 as well. So take it away, Jenny. Cool, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm a part-timer um, at UPS, shop steward and member of Teamsters Local 396 in LA also. Um, and I work on the preload shift. So that's the shift that loads the trucks for the drivers to take out and make their deliveries in the morning. Um, so as you heard, uh, part-time pay has been one of the main demands of the contract fight and is now a sticking point in the negotiations. Um, so first off, I'm just gonna say, there's no reason part-timers should be paid less per hour. Um, we still do a lot of the work to make packages move around the country and we still make this company their record profits. Um, so part-timers work very early mornings, um, very late nights, uh, any hour of the day, there is a part-timer working at UPS somewhere in this country. Uh, and we generally work around three and a half hour shifts, but they push so much work into those hours that we're basically doing a full day's work in half the hours. So that creates difficult and often unsafe working conditions. Um, and as Jared mentioned about the concessionary contracts, um, pay for part-timers has fallen so behind in our previous contracts that at this point in LA, we are making minimum wage. So 
even if we were making full-time hours, we would still need a second or third job um, to make ends meet. Uh, but at this point in negotiations, UPS would still rather have a strike and have them lose profits uh, than give just give part-timers the fair wage that we deserve. So this is important because uh, part-timers are 65% of the workforce at UPS, so we're the majority. Um, and we're also the majority of women who work at UPS. Um, and that is not because we don't look good in the brown uniform, because we do. But there are a lot of obstacles to becoming full-time at UPS. Jared basically laid them out. The largest one for women is that women are primarily the, uh, have the responsibility of childcare. And if full-time at UPS is completely unpredictable, there's no guarantee that you're gonna get out at 6 p.m. to be able to pick up your kid. It's more likely you're gonna be working until nine or 10 p.m. Uh, at least a few days a week. So that's why it's hard to go full-time. Um, but because of this, this means that women are overrepresented in the lower paying jobs at UPS. So even though our CEO, Carol Tomei is a woman, um, and she made $19 million last year. Most women who work at UPS are making poverty wages. So this, I mean, this is reflected in our society. In general, women work lower paying jobs as compared to men, and especially oppressed nationality women work lower paying jobs as compared to men and compared to white women. Um, so this is an example of the material basis uh, of gender oppression and national oppression where sexism and racism are not just ideas that people have, but play a material role in capitalism, meaning corporations like UPS make super profits off of women because they pay them less. Um, so it's it's not exactly that like women part-timers make less than men part-timers, um, but it's this gender discrimination brings down the standard for the entire working class. For example, there are a lot of single dads who are long-term part-timers at UPS, and they also get underpaid because of this low pay that's rooted in gender oppression. Um, so this is not to say that men should say, uh, wow, women ruin everything, but we should all be united against monopoly capitalists like UPS who exploit their workers. Um, and that's what we've been doing through this contract fight. Um, the national campaign started a year ago, um, and there's a common idea that part-timers uh, are hard to organize um, because we do have issues of turnover. Uh, a lot of young people who might not see the value yet of like being involved in the union, um, but there are a lot of part-timers who have made UPS their career, and we have seen that part-timers can be organized. So how we did it at our hub uh, was we started by enforcing uh, the contract that we have. So fighting the boss on the shop floor, showing people what we're fighting for um, and getting people involved through like little issue fights. Um, we also started Teamster Thursday on our shift, which uh, Jared explained, which is usually in our local done with drivers, but we uh, we made it work on part-time shifts by doing it in like the 15 minute break that we have. And it's basically, yeah, like he said, to just share like any union events, um, contract updates, things going on in the hub, um, and to really build unity um, and spread information about what's going on. Um, another thing we did was we started a contract committee. So uh, we would meet, or we still do, we still meet after work every few weeks to plan contract actions like the practice picketing or the rally that we're, we have coming up um, or any plans we have to pressure the company uh, in this period. So the goal from all of this is to get as many members involved as possible. Um, and in our hub, I think we're very proud that there's no one who uh, doesn't know what's going on there or no one who hasn't been invited to something. So 
Um, it's been very successful to organize part-timers, um, both in our hub and nationally through this contract campaign. And that's been with the help of the international leadership um, and active members everywhere. So part-timers are definitely ready to strike. Uh, so ready that a lot of people are asking why we haven't started yet, um, which kind of shows that UPS demands so much from us. And so we are ready to demand a lot more from them. Um, so I'll just talk briefly about like uh, the implications for the broader labor movement, um, because these are issues larger than UPS. Um, we can see this hap This is any job in the United States. All workers are exploited and underpaid under capitalism. So uh, for me, I've had 25 jobs in my life, which is kind of impressive because I'm only 27. Um, but most of them were very short term. I never agreed with the saying quitters never win because I would quit a job after a week if it was bad. And I, I feel like I have one. So, uh, but this is my first union job and the first job where we as a bargaining unit of workers, we can fight for our demands and strike if we don't get what we deserve. So um, that's the vehicle we have. But unfortunately, uh, union jobs, especially in the private sector, uh, have been in decline for decades. So we actually, um, in addition to our own improving our own conditions, we have a, a historic opportunity as Teamsters and as unionized workers to raise the standard for the entire working class in this contract fight and pave the way for more workers to unionize. So um, I'll use Amazon as an example because, uh, yeah, that, that was the job I had before UPS and because um, the Teamsters have a national campaign to organize Amazon workers, which I'm also involved in. Um, so Amazon... Uh, as you've probably heard, um, Amazon's a bad job. Like uh, there's very little job security. People get fired left and right um, and they have nothing. They can't debate it at all. They can't come back. Um, workers are heavily monitored. So like they always know where you are, how much you're working and they'll harass you to hurry up. And there's a also a lot of injuries that the company doesn't take responsibility for. So not to mention that they don't have a pension or healthcare or anything like that. But the one thing, um, and this is like the biggest obstacle to organizing Amazon right now is that they make higher pay than, for example, UPS part-timers um, starting out. So for organizing, a lot of Amazon workers are young, um, so they might care more about having higher pay in this moment than, for example, a pension. Um, and if they see like, oh, UPS workers make less than me, they're going to be like, why would I unionize if I'm going to get a pay cut? So this is a really uh, real obstacle. Um, but if we do win higher pay in this contract at UPS, it would raise the bar for the logistics industry and for all working class jobs because wages are competitive, meaning uh, if a huge monopoly corporation like UPS is paying $25 an hour, other companies will be forced to increase pay uh, to convince workers to work there. Um, and another thing is that when we do win this badass contract, other workers are going to look at it and will make logical a lot like the logical decision to unionize and become Teamsters too, or any union. Um, which this historically, it's been seen that after there's a big contract win, other workers uh, see the value in unionizing and fighting, and they yeah they'll they'll sign up to fight their boss too and and win uh, better working conditions, um, and especially if we do strike and show that as workers striking is our most powerful tool to get what we demand 
And that that's the only thing that really does strike blows to the company and make them listen. Other workers will see that and use the tool of the strike uh, to win their own demands. Um, and with this tool, we will build a stronger labor movement overall in our country. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, excellent. Um, and you get the, you have the best uh, backdrop of uh, anybody. Uh, uh, and I notice uh, uh, my union, uh, the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, is, is uh, has their signs in the backdrop of you up there too. So thank you for that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for people that have questions, uh, please put them in the chat, um, and we will get to them uh, after we conclude uh, the panelists. Our our final panelist is. Uh, uh, Nico Hernandez, uh, who comes to us from uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So Nico, take it away. All righty. Um, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you all today. My name is Nico Hernandez. I'm a rank and file teamster out of uh, Jacksonville, Florida. I'm a part-timer, a cover driver, and a shifter, meaning I move around the semis in the yard. Um, I distinctly remember my very first day at UPS. It was me going in on a very hot August day, August 9th, 2020, and was went to the um, went to the uh, cornerstone, what we called our training room. Went we did that for a day, and then I came back the second day and went into a hot corrugated box truck. The first thing I remember is I brushed up against the wall of those trucks, and I burned my arm because of how hot the working conditions are at UPS. The third day I fell out, I vomited outside of the truck because of how bad it was. And on the sixth day, I saw these uh, plucky young teamsters outside flyering, um, you know, talking about working conditions, talking about, you know, the unions, teamsters, the rank and file movement. And uh, it was intriguing to me, uh, especially since I believe I was pretty woozy from a heat stress that day. So, you know, I took a flyer and, uh, you know, I got involved and uh, here I am today. Um, I'm a... Steering Committee on TDU. Um, TDU is a reform, grassroots reform movement within the Teamsters. We seek to reform the international and the local unions to build true rank and file power in their union. Well, what does that mean? It means that the workers control the union bureaucrats, not the other way around. We're not going to take directives from high up from these sellout, lazy bureaucrats. It's all they want to line their pockets. No, we're going to fight for a union that works for us. Um, TDU accomplishes their task of building a militant union by getting reformers to take power in their local unions, by building uh, rank and file power, by educating uh, workers on their legal and contractual rights, and most importantly, by creating spaces for Teamsters to meet other reform-minded Teamsters across the country and build a true workers' movement. Now, organizing in the South is hard. Um, we don't have the more the better conditions that uh, other folks uh, in non-right-to-work states have. Uh, we don't have a union culture down here that many others have managed to build over years and years of struggle. Um, that has never really existed down here, and it's been a long-term task of socialists like myself to build something like that. And we've been, I think we've done a very admirable job in doing so. Um, we face <laughs> incredible opposition, a great example. Um, during our union campaign uh, here in Jacksonville, we had many people who loved to come up to us and say, Viva Castro! Oh, look at these communists running for union election when really we, it doesn't matter where our politics are. We want workers to own their workplace and take control of their unions. And to some people, um, 
the reactionaries in our union, that's that's not acceptable to them. They want the go along, get along model, but we stand against that. Um, in Florida, we're the very first right to work state. We, it was, it's a law designed to destroy unions, an inherently racist law. It's first implementation by a guy, I'm blanking on his name, but he was a well-known racist and anti-Semite. Um, we, it allows freeloaders to reap the benefits of union negotiated wages, health care, work rules, and representation without being required to be a member of said union. These laws put an undue burden on unions' finances and workers' ability and unions' ability to represent all workers. Um, we've been, two, 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 two. Uh, we've also been facing a lot of attacks from Governor Meatball Ron um, in the um, union sector, this new Senate Bill 256, which came out, which caused all public sector unions to be forced to represent, to reach a threshold of 60% of all workers to be able to continue being recognized by the state as unions. Now, this, among any other, many other cases, shows what it is like to unionize in the South. Now, what have we been doing to counteract these types of attacks? In the South, we and Teamsters beat the anti-reform, go-along, get-along, business unionist Hoffa, the Hoffa leadership, in 2016 and 2021. We did that through massive grassroots rank-and-file action across the South. We brought people in. We flyered. We hit the gates. We talked to our coworkers. And then we won in both years resoundingly. Now, that's a huge accomplishment because the South has been long, long hotbed of reactionary trade unionism. Recently, here locally, we held our very first practice picket ever. And us as TDU, we brought the majority to rank and file workers. Our local couldn't do it. We could because we believe in the rank and file. We don't believe in just, you know, selling them out, having meetings with management, going to the steakhouse and, you know, just having a good old time with them. Every Thursday, we get out and we petition and we flyer and we get information to the rank and file. We make sure that this union doesn't just work for, you know, the top up bureaucrats, make sure it's working for everybody, that everyone knows their contract, that they get the information that they need to know and that they are able to build the union that they deserve. Um, think about people to say about part time. It's really it's full time work with part time hours. We don't have an easy job, but we have to make do what we have and build from there to build, give our, build, build the solidarity with which we can create the jobs that we deserve. And that's what I believe the Oz administration has been going for. Uh, we supported them in uh, the 2021 election and we won. We won by a, a three to one margin nationally, which is very impressive. And Freedom Road and TDU and all these organizations came together to really build this coalition and help make the Teamsters a true democratic union that works for the members. Um, recently, I was fired, <laughs> Jared mentioned earlier, for a four, six months violation. Management came in. They said uh, I had been working six months straight of six days a week. I needed a day to move. Um, and management said, you can't move. Um, we own you six days a week and you're fired. And, um, you know, th th these are just the things that we have to push back against. And thankfully, I won my panel case. But, you know, this is going on across the country. And once we start organizing around these issues, we can pipe back against it. A couple of weeks ago, we got the news. So our six punch discipline is gone. And part of that is through our activism, 
through us working together to get these changes pushed through because if we hadn't if we hadn't voted out this last leadership we'd have never won the four six discipline getting rid of and that opens up um you know two days to for yourself the old uh labor slogan um uh, a true weekend so um i'd like to give it back to richard i appreciate uh being able to speak to you all today well thank you nico um so uh big round of applause for <laughs> our entire panelists uh thank you all as i mentioned um we're gonna be uh taking questions some of you have put some questions into the chat already and i uh, encourage you others to do the same if there's things you would uh, like to do. I, I know, I, I think I saw somebody said that we'd reached our peak of, uh, of people. Uh, so we're going to rebroadcast this on Fight Back Radio. Uh, so look for that for people, if you can tell people that weren't able to make it today. Um, since I'm the host of Fight Back Radio, I'm going to give another shameless plug for it. Um, the uh, uh, our current guest is uh, the local 90 president of Teamsters Local 90 in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Tanner Fisher, which is also uh, an excellent, you know, it's about UPS. It's about the same things we're talking about today. So if you haven't had enough after this fabulous forum, um, you can go uh, check out Fight Back Radio, uh, the podcast of the people. Um, okay, so uh, the first question I have is uh, from uh, uh, Cindy, and she asks, uh, what is class struggle unionism and counterposes it to business unionism? But you could, I suppose, counterpose it also to social justice unionism and all kinds of other unionisms that different people have said. And so uh, I'm going to just uh, pick uh, Jenny uh, out of the mix to, to comment on that. But any of our panelists who want to, after Jenny speaks, want to speak to it, uh, feel free to, 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 uh, to answer that as well. So go ahead, Jenny. Sure. Yeah. So class struggle unionism is, like it sounds, putting uh, unionism on a class struggle basis. So. Uh, whereas business unionism focuses a lot on kind of just like people's pay um, or uh, deal, going in and dealing with the company, uh, union in, in the company without rank and file participation. Um, we, we believe in class struggle unionism because we want members to run their unions and we want uh, unions to fight not just for their individual workplaces, but for the working class as a whole. So that means taking up other issues, um, like maybe like, for example, we live in LA, so it's important that our unions take a stand on things that really affect all their members. Like for us, it's immigration is a big issue. Um, so we would want our unions to stand up for different things that go on in society and um, and push back against um, any any like capitalist attack, like for example, what's going on in Florida, um, and also to make sure we are fighting the boss um, because a lot of business unionists will kind of just, I think it's, it's a, how we would categorize the other contract fights of just uh, concessions from the company, uh, cost neutral uh, type of agreements where the company gets some, the union gets some. Um, no, this, we want everything from UPS and from all corporations. We don't want to give anything back. Um, and we have done well in this contract so far. Um, in terms of that, there uh, so far there's no known concessions. Um, but yeah, that's what we would want uh, for class struggle unionism is to really fight the corporations that are exploit exploiting workers, um, and to yeah make sure we're winning everything that can be won um, as unionists. Uh, Jared or Nico, do you want to comment on this? Go ahead, Jared. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, Jenny uh, gave a great answer, so I'm not going to say too much. I can speak to it in terms of, you know, a class struggle unionist wants, you know, fights on the shop floor. They want, um, you know, the members to be, you know, engaging in the fight on the shop floor. Um, traditional business unionism is file a grievance, you know, file a piece of paper and never hear from, you know, your business agent again, and um, we'll work out a deal. Class struggle unionists understands that there is no, there may be a deal to make in terms of a, uh, some sort of temporary compromise, but there's always going to be that opposing contradiction. Always the worker against the boss, the capitalist class versus the working class. Um, you know, recently, and yeah, people are shouting out Joe Burns's book, Class Struggle Unionism. I'll do the same. It's a great book. Uh, <laughs> um, but that said, I mean, social justice unionism, um, you know, that's kind of a more recent uh, endeavor that uh, some some unions have taken up. And I think one is, uh, everybody knows SEIU, obviously. Uh, my wife is a rank and file member of SEIU. So, um, you know, in those cases, uh, you know, they don't uh, have workers um, fighting on the shop floor. In fact, if you show interest in um, unionism and things like that, the, the objective for a social justice union is uh, to take you out of the workplace and maybe go lobby a politician or something like that. And sometimes that needs to be done, but it's not to replace the traditional class struggle fight, the fight in the workplace where everything begins. You want to comment on that, Nico? I think uh, Jared and Ginny have covered it pretty well. Okay, sounds good. Um, so uh, yes, uh, we next question comes from uh, Calvin. And he talks about uh, how do you fight uh, the corporate propaganda, um, you know, on the shop floor, and and how do you uh, fight union sellouts who are buying into that? And uh, maybe why don't you uh, uh, why don't you kick us off on that one, Nico, if you could? Sorry, just pulling up the question on the Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> um, all righty. Yeah. So. It's 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 a difficult fight against the sellout. I mean, especially within the sellouts of the union. I can I can talk about it for an hour about the sellouts we've had in five twelve. Um, you know that we've had grievances unheard. You get completely ignored by the union officials. I've had them curse at me. Um, I mean, they don't disrespect you openly in the workplace and out of work. Um, the best way to fight them is simple: organize. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but it's the only effective way to counter the power that the entrenched union bureaucrats have. They might have their shop steward network, um, but you can go around that by building a true rank and file network of folks who ignore their shop steward, ignore their business unionist, and only follow the contract and their fellow brothers, sisters in the workplace. Um, it starts on the, it starts simply, it starts talking to your coworker, the guy on the box line down from you, the guy unloading the trailer with you, the guy cleaning the chute with you, the girl, you know, up on the, on, in the tender belts, um, sorting packages. Um, it's, it's not easy. It's a long-term project of, you know, making connections and speaking with people inside and outside of the workplace, you know, going to barbecues, getting to really know people and forming that 
solidarity and that community connection that needs to happen in the workplace to be able to go forward with that and be able to challenge the entrenched bureaucrats that call themselves your union leaders when really they're the people that are there to mediate the class struggle to try to and not so much as fight for you the worker but try to keep um, labor peace in the workplace um the first one the the first question the fight against corporate propaganda um you know we see that occasionally we've seen that with our union um the contract campaign ups has been putting out some crap about how we make 20 dollars an hour starting out and all this nonsense about oh we have world-class health care well Oh, great. World-class healthcare. Uh, does that pay your rent? Um, workers generally see right through this type of stuff. It's not so much that you have to counter it as much as you just have to let them know what the company's putting out and they see right through it. Uh, they they live on the shop floor. They understand their working conditions. And uh, it's a pretty simple thing to get through to them once you just publicize it. Um, Jerry? Yeah, I can say a few things about it. Um, you know, we're going through this contract fight. And so I can think of one specific thing that's kind of going on right now um, in terms of company propaganda. Um, you know, what the company's trying to do right now is trying to pit part-timer against full-timer or full-timer against uh, the part-timers. Because the biggest issue right now that's keeping us away from having a tentative agreement is a fair livable wage for part-time workers. And so the company knows that uh, if they reward their small section of full-time force, uh, maybe they and maybe they can prevent a strike from actually happening. So what they're going around and doing is saying, you really gonna strike for that part-timer that can't load your truck? You know, you really gonna do that? Do you, you know? And actually, unfortunately, there's people even within the union that regurgitate that that line, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, your coworker or even some officials within the union, like a business agent or something. And so what do we do about it? You know, obviously, we can't keep quiet about it. We've got to inoculate people and something we've done uh, in terms of our Teamster Thursday meetings is we've specifically talked about that issue it's like we we tell them look that's a company line that's what the company the company wants to pitch you against your your the guy that loads your truck or the the mom that loads your truck who can't go full-time because she's you know taking care of her kids right after that you know right after she gets out of work at 9 a.m you know they want you to not stand with her and guess what we're all teamsters here you know who does it benefit when you're talking crap about, you know, the part-timers? So we have to kind of, you know, agitate, organize around it and say, this is what we believe. And that's what the company believes. And we're all teamsters and we're going to fight like hell for what we, what we deserve and what those part-timers deserve. And we're winning too. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Jared. Um, Jenny, I got a question for you uh, from uh, Carlos. He asks about uh, um, organizing around working conditions on the shop floor, and how how do you do that? And what's the what's the uh, the basics of it? Uh, you know, how do you approach your members, and what 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 do you look for? Sure. Yeah. So, well, we do have a contract. Um, it's thick. Uh, <laughs> 
it's there's most things and most issue workplace issues are covered under it. So um, especially as shop stewards, our job is to make sure it's being enforced, which uh, if you work at UPS, you know that it is not most of the time because the company will do everything they can to violate our contracts so that they can uh, exploit us even more or uh, have their supervisors uh, come jump in if they need extra help, which is not allowed in our contract. Um, but basically, we 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 take any issue. Like for example, there was an issue of like a workplace speed up um, recently in in our hub, um, and people on that conveyor belt because that's what we work off of. Uh, they spoke up about it, and um, like Jared said, our process is by filing grievances, but it's also by it. I don't think it was the grievances that were filed um, about the belt being sped up that made it stop. I think it was us. Uh, actually going and uh, basically harassing our supervisors uh, and our main manager about why one of the belts in the building is moving faster than the rest of the belts. It's not fair. It forces people to go faster. Um, people also weren't able to be weren't able to keep up. So they were being disciplined for not following work methods when really the company was just pushing too much onto them. Um, so it took it took like a few weeks of uh, literally every day uh, having a little group of us go uh, to each supervisor and confront them. Like, how does it make sense that this belt is uh, moving faster? Um, and finally, uh, they actually gave in and slowed it down um, and took uh, a bit of the workload off of that belt, um, which now everyone on that belt, I mean, it's still super hard work. But they're super excited that they were able to uh, or we were able to win that um, and uh, make sure that at least they were getting treated equally, like as compared to the rest of the building. So that's an, uh, one example of something that was affecting everyone. Um, we also uh, we had well, Jared had a really successful fan campaign, but something we're working on right now is it's really hot. There's no AC. Um, and we are trying to get more fans installed. So we're working on uh, figuring out how we can pressure the company to get us more fans. But we're going off of Jared's example, which was a success. So I just asked him to share his story. <laughs> Go ahead, Jared. Oh my. <laughs> this was many years ago when I was a part-timer. But I say, screw the fans, let's go for AC. How about AC in the building? Um, so many, many years ago, uh, obviously, the summers are extremely hot, you know, 90, you know, 90 to 100 degrees, even more than that. And so, um, you know, the heat just gets trapped in, in the building. There's no AC. It's just a big warehouse. And the, our, our hub is like, I think, built in the 50s or something like that. So it's pretty old. So obviously not well ventilated, et cetera, et cetera. So heat related illness uh, was definitely a thing. You know, people would be like loading trucks and then feeling sick, vomiting, passing out, kind of like what Nico was talking about. Very common to see that. And um, so we're like, we need we need some fans, you know, like this is ridiculous. We don't even have fans in here. And so we did a couple of things, you know, as part of a, a, a campaign, you know, something that you know, took place over an extended period of time, but we did all sorts of things. We did a petition. Um, we marched on, we took a few workers and marched on the, uh, the manager 
in her office. Um, we filed safety grievances. We called OSHA, which didn't do much. Um, we were wearing uh, fan buttons, like we want fans. Um, and so, yeah, eventually over the course of a couple of months, uh, we were able to get some fans up there. Um, it took quite some time. And then I went driving. I didn't even get to enjoy the fans. Um, <laughs> but uh, I say, let's go for AC now uh, at this point. Um, I've got some other examples, but I'll leave it at that. Actually, I want to go back to you, Jared, if I can. So there's a question from Sarah about the Freedom Road Socialist Organization rank and file strategy, as they call it. And, uh, you know, why do, uh, you know, you've been 11 years at UPS. Uh, why uh, send people into the rank and file? Why not just get staff jobs or, or whatever? And uh, why, is, uh, why is this strategy uh, the one that Freedom Road has? Well, Freedom Road wants to build, a, you know, an organization among the working class. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, we're not... Uh, you know, above getting working class jobs, number one. Number two, we want to lead shop floor fights and we want to find uh, active people, active leaders, active workers on the shop floor. Um, and we want to be there shoulder to shoulder to not only, you know, take up that fight, um, but, you know, to learn and, and to be a part of it. So um, that's like the basis of it is, um, you know, we are an organization in the working class, in the multinational working class. Um, we're not above it, you know, and um, we're in the lower sector of the, uh, the, the proletariat, uh, as, as we say, and um, we're part-timers, we're full-timers. Um, and so it's very important if we want to build a revolutionary organization um, is that we do so, you know, by being there in the working class, not above it or um outside of it yeah, no, i appreciate that uh nico or uh, jenny you want to comment on that i'll just say uh it wasn't staff of unions who got us to this point in the uh ups teamster contract campaign um it was the rank and file and that's how it should be it should be members uh, leading their own unions um, rather than staff-driven unions. Um, and yeah, I think we're proud to be part of that. And uh, it's definitely the place to be uh, if you want to organize among the working class uh, or as revolutionaries uh, like us in the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. So I would say if you're someone uh, thinking about joining the labor movement or you're already in the labor movement or you work at UPS, I would say, uh, and if you want to both work on things like contract campaigns, but more than that, uh, of kind of dealing with the larger issues of capitalism in society, I'd say uh, you should join us in the FR, So, All right. Um, Nico, do you want to comment on this? Oh, man, you're always leaving free and for last, Richard. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> you know, you have the wisdom, you can give it the final. Sure. Yeah, I mean. The, the real thing about the rank and file strategy and the importance of it is that, you know, you are among the working class as opposed to outside of it. If you get a staff job, you are merely, it, it could be like any other job. It's like getting a nonprofit job with a union veneer, right? You're working with, you're working for a union 
but you're not working with the union. You don't have any political control over your union. You're completely beholden to the power structures that exist within your union. You're at will. You can get fired at any time. And you're not fighting the boss every day. You're working somewhat for a boss, right? As a rank and file member, not only do you get to have to, sometimes you have to fight the company, you have to fight the union, but that's where the true struggle is. The struggle isn't at some highfalutin level where you're, you know, arguing with, you know, the strategy with your direct boss about how to manage a contract. The, the real struggle is you as a worker with your contract fighting for you and your coworkers. Yeah, well put, well put. Um, I, I, I'm a union staffer. I spent decades as a rank and file fighter, but I think uh, you, you said it very well, Nico, uh, as did the others. But it's, uh, I mean, if you work for a union, uh, the politics of the principal officer, sir, are your politics. And if they're not, you're, you're going to be fired. So, um, you know, the power's in the workers. And that's uh, really, I, I think, uh, if, you know, groups like Freedom Road are, that are, realize that the power's in the workers and you're trying to build a revolutionary organization, you have to have a strength amongst the rank and file and use rank and file democracy to, to build the class struggle unionism. So thank you so much for that. Um, I'm going to go back to you, Nico, actually, though. Uh, Maria asked us about fighting uh, two and three tier wage systems. And uh, how do you do that? What's the strategy uh, that we, we bring to trying to fight that? Yeah. So um, these two and three con tiered contracts, um, three tier, especially prevalent in the UAW. Uh, now they've been, you know, they're a cancer among any contract. They're a poison pill. They're ultimately designed to destroy the union, destroy the negotiated benefits, wages, healthcare that's been, you know, kept strong through many, many years and many, you know, years of negotiation. Um, what they're usually doing, they're selling out the unborn. Everybody in the current union, oh, we don't have to worry about the two tier. That's for new people coming in. And if you don't have the ideology to back that up, if you don't understand the long-term view of unionism, you'll go through with that. Okay, we're keeping our healthcare, but oh, well, the new guys, they get screwed. What you need to do is you need to build up workers to stand up against those things, understand that you, your future worker is you. That's going to be your son. That's going to be your grandson. That's going to be, you know, your friends, your family, your community that's going to be shafted by these two and three tier contracts and the inability to really true make it to the top scale and to reap the true benefits of what workers have fought for over decades and a lot of these contracts. So it's really just building up the power of workers, standing up against these, un educating the workforce on why these are should never be implemented, these two and three tier contracts and, uh, you know, fighting against that tooth and nail at the bargaining table. So, um, uh, Jared or Jenny, do you want to make a comment on this? Or? Sure. Um, you know, obviously the, the capitalists, uh, you know, want, um, us to pit each other against each other, you know, and when they institute these uh, second tiers or third tiers, which they've done in our current contract, you know, they want to pit a worker and sell out the unborn, so to speak, and, um, you know, reward the, the existing worker. So when they retire, which will be in two, three years, uh, guess what? You know, the folks behind them get paid $10 less. And who wins from that? Um, it's kind of like the struggle that we have with, uh, you know, the getting the full timers to stand in solidarity with the part timers. You know, um, it's about solidarity and something that we need to do 
you know, as, you know, rank and file activists is fight against, you know, the tier system that'll always, you know, look, UPS is going to try and every company is going to try and do that because they want to whittle away what we have. You know, they want to pay us less. And we're always going to have to fight that. Um, that said, you know, I don't know what union has been able to do this, but we stand to actually get rid of a second tier. Uh, we already have like a tentative agreement on getting rid of the 22-4. Um, you know, so I know the UAW has got the big three fight. So I'm sure that's going to be talked about too uh, upcoming after after we're said and done. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's about solidarity. It's about getting your, your coworkers to stand, uh, you know, with the future and, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, thank you. Thank you, Jared. Um, we're, we're starting to wind down here. I, uh, I'm looking at a, a last question, uh, from Josh. It says, uh, um, how do freedom road members organize in UPS to push beyond, uh, economic demands and connect this struggle towards building a revolutionary movement for socialism. And I wanna uh, take that question, but also give people here, you know, our panelists an opportunity to expand beyond that question. If you wanna throw anything in for re concluding remarks um, and uh, you know, anything that we didn't bring up in this thing. And, and uh, before I, I go to the panelists for that, um, I wanna remind people that we're gonna broadcast this uh, a week from today, uh, on uh, Sunday the 23rd uh, on Fight Back Radio. So you can look for for that there. And if you know people that, that missed this, they can catch it there. Um, also, you know, continue to look uh, for Fight Back News uh, to follow the UPS strike, but also the, the it reports from the front lines of the of the class struggles. So I, I would encourage people to, to look for that as well. Um, but uh, so let me, you know, Take it to, to you, Jenny, maybe to start us off here, if you could, uh, um, and deal with Josh's question, but also anything else you want to advance. Uh, sure. So um, through this contract fight, uh, we have a lot to win, but it also kind of shows uh, the things that we can't win through a contract at work. So um, kind of like We've kind of already talked about it, but just that these issues are larger than just UPS. Um, it's a, a society-wide issue here in the United States under capitalism that workers are exploited, um, and we uh, we do we do work to build socialism um, by kind of uh, showing those contradictions in society, uh, building a movement um, to actually end corporate exploitation of workers, which is what we're fighting in this contract fight, but on a larger scale so that we don't have to uh, deal with it at all. Um, and we do that through uh, building organization, um, finding like-minded people and trying to build our organization um, towards that. Uh, we, I think it's, we're in the best place because the labor movement uh, is a really important place to organize from um, because that's, that's where the working class has the most power against corporations is joining a union um, and being able to fight the very people who exploit us. Um, and so that's kind of how we uh, do our work, uh, at least our labor work. Um, of course, we're an organization that does a lot of different things, um, especially uh, and labor and the oppressed nations um, fighting national oppression in the United States. Uh, but that is 
that's yeah that's our main goal is to um overthrow capitalism and build socialism in the united states thank you jenny um i'm gonna go to nico next but before i do i wanted to uh you know if anybody wants uh to get more information about uh freedom road um to you know be involved in the ups battle we have um uh, Michaela, who's uh, our behind-the-scenes uh, guru here, um, we'll put in the chat. Uh, I forgot what you call this, like Airtable, um, and uh, you, uh, basically click on that and sign up, and we'll we'll have somebody get back to you. But uh, thank you, Jenny. Uh, Nico, uh, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, I just like to reiterate that point. Um, you know, organizations like Freedom Road are really at the forefront of building socialism in the United States, and uh, you know the fight at UPS and beyond. Um, they've been intimately involved with that and I'm happy they invited me here and everyone uh, on the call should uh, get involved if you aren't already. Um, how do we go beyond the UPS contract? How do we use this power at UPS that we're building to push further into socialism? It, it's a long-term project, um, you know, involves, you know, like I think I've said 20 times, organizing and it's difficult and it's arduous, but Every day, each one of, you know, the members of TDU and other organizations, we fight to build these types of um, connections, to connect workers together, to, you know, eventually, you know, understand where a final goal is. It's not just a good contract at UPS. It's not just, you know, get this concession from the employer that it's really to liberate ourselves from the impression of the capitalist class. And that's very well embodied by, you know, the egregious management at UPS, just sadistic people. Um, way we push beyond that, uh, eventually, UPS is an incredible economic bottleneck. Um, you know, socialists for decades and, you know, centuries have understood that organizing at transportation choke points are where we need to be if we want to affect the broader economy through, you know, uh, political strikes effectively. And by organizing ourselves within these critical transportation junctures, we can utilize that class power to uh, be able to, you know, uh, shut things down when they need to be shut down. So that's that's uh, our interim goal. Okay, thank you, Nico. Um, and Jared, uh, uh, you want to answer the question? Anything else you want to add as well? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, the struggle for socialism and the fight against capitalism, I mean, through this contract campaign and through the fight, I mean, we're all very active, you know, in the workplace and, you know, whether it be practice pickets, rallies, um, along the way, you know, we have to identify like, you know, what's these, these particular issues we have, the issues of the conditions in our workplace, the issues of low pay, uh, we have to connect that to a much broader and larger thing, which is exploitation, you know, from the capitalist class and oppression, national oppression, like, the, what we experience here in Los Angeles in the Southwest um, uh, and beyond. Um, we have to connect that. And along the way, we do find advanced folks. We do find fighters uh, that want to join with us. And, um, you know, that's, we're a growing group. Uh, we're growing like crazy, actually, you know. Um, so that said, I mean, going back to that, and what we're doing here as UPS Teamsters is this is a, a historic fight. You know, it's taken us a long time as workers, as rank and file to get here. And all eyes are on us. All eyes from, you know, the labor movement. And of course, the ruling class is watching this as well. 
contracts come and go. Um, and the issues that we face at work, the cruelty of, of exploitation that we face at UPS is shared by the entire multinational working class in the United States. The owners of UPS, the banks, the ruling class, they rule of, over us beyond just the workplace, but even when we're at home, when we're in the streets, when the state wants to kill a Chicano or a, a African-American, um, you know, shoot them dead. Or whether it be issues of healthcare or education, the fight for, you know, affirmative action. Um, all these things are connected. And it's because the ruling class, it, you know, puts them down on us. So if we want to take that their boot off our neck, and if we really want change in this country, we're going to need more than just uh, unions fighting for a better contract. We're going to need a revolutionary party led by the multinational working class. So I urge everybody uh, on this call, you know, if you're not um, part of Freedom Road, please look into it. Uh, join with us. If you want to be with us, join in the historic fight. Thank you very much for being on this call and uh, have a good Sunday. All right. Thank you, Jared. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a good way to end it. So uh, people, uh, if you uh, look at the chat, uh, the Airtable uh, link there, if you sign up there, we'll, we'll get back to you and uh, uh, talk to you about that. Uh, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, hopefully you were inspired to check that out some more. Uh, it's frso.org, but also, uh, um, you know, there's a, uh, you, can, you can sign up to be a member. Uh, and people will get back to you there. So please, please do that. Um, and uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we don't, uh, this was a good program. I think we have a fabulous set of guests. Uh, thank you, Nico Hernandez, uh, Jenny Beckenstein, and uh, Jared Hamill. And uh, you know, look for this uh, again, as I said, on uh, Fight Back Radio. And uh, thank you, Michaela, for helping us out with all the difficulties behind the scene. And thank everybody here for uh, taking time from your Sunday night. You're the you're the rock stars that are going to make the change in this world. So uh, we appreciate you all for being here. Thank you so much. UPS Teamsters on the front lines, uh, formed from Freedom Road Socialist Organization. And uh, I hope you got something out of it. It's uh, uh, It takes us, I think, a little bit of a step further. Uh, for those of you that are new to Fight Back Radio, I want to encourage you to subscribe, give us five stars, thumbs up, follow us, whatever. All those things help people follow us and also help you follow us because uh, it'll be downloaded to your, your iPhone or whatever on a, a regular basis. And I think uh, I'd encourage you also to go back and listen to some of our uh, previous episodes, uh, both on labor, black liberation, uh, women's rights, all the things we've covered uh, from the, the heart of the people's struggles, as we say. So please do that. Um, also tell a friend, you know, pass the word on about how people can get a hold of this forum that you just listened to. But also tell them, uh, you know, hey, check out Fight Back Radio. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, um, I, I, I want to, uh, you know, thank our production team: Dodd McColgan, uh, Natalie Prainis, uh, Vince uh, Olson, and uh, Shane Tremley uh, for the entire Fight Back Radio team. I'm Richard Berg. Saying until next time, all power to the people. I I wonder if that's my mom's name. I wonder if she's on here. Oh, she probably is. Tell her I said hi. Yeah. Yep.
You could say hi to her in the chat. I'll just let she doesn't know what Zoom is. It ain't her. Neither does Jared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's on here. Oh my god. That was just ridiculous. I don't know. Richard was about to have to take your place. I know. I was gonna yeah, I was like, it's me, Jared Hamill. Uh <laughs> Surprise. Pretend to be you. That wouldn't be that hard. Are you sure about that? <laughs> Just talk about mattresses. You'll be good. Yeah. Well, I, hear I actually show. prefer to talk about the pillow. Tempur-Pedic pillow. 